today is uh, do something a little different. I tried it once back in December. I use a storytelling method that I learned as part of my social work education. It's called photo voice. That's how the message is going to unfold today through a series of pictures. And I thought I'd start with something totally non-controversial. <laughs> something that everyone agrees on. So let me ask you, how many of you watched the end of Game of Thrones? Okay. How many of you liked the end of Game of Thrones? How many of you disliked the end of Game of Thrones? How many of you who didn't raise your hand the first time and never have seen an episode of Game of Thrones or maybe some are like, yeah, this is not for me. I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to get involved. Cannot wait until the rest of us shut up about the end of Game of Thrones. <laughs> so uh, welcome to today's first part in a 10-part series called... Game of Thrones, what did it mean? <laughs> All summer long, people. <laughs> so the end of Game of Thrones was controversial, and I'm someone who really liked the show, found it troubling at times, not perfect, far from it, but who for three quarters of its run really enjoyed it and didn't like the ending at all. didn't work for me. It's fine. It's actually an interesting conversation to have, I think, with people who did enjoy it. The issue I'm finding is that what I've seen over and over again in social media this past week, and I've heard from people directly, is you wasted eight years of my life. <laughs> Whenever someone responds to that, that the ending of something delegitimates everything else that came before it, I know that we have touched a very specific third rail, and that third rail is death, endings, right? This weekend, particularly, Memorial Day weekend. This picture from the Korean War Memorial. The Korean War, although it ended, at least the American involvement, years before I was born, has cast a shadow over my life. Some of you know this, my dad for years told the story that he was drafted and served during the Korean War but never saw action until a time of rather intense vulnerability for me personally during college. My father decided to disclose that he had served and seen action. And in the only honest exchange he and I have ever had about it, I just kind of blurted out, did friends of yours die? And he said, yes. And he looked away. He doesn't owe me any explanation, but I know that something traumatic happened to my father during the Korean War that he has never been able to metabolize so far in his full 86 and a half years on this earth. Memorial Day is a weird thing in this country, isn't it? Because I'm not just talking about, you know, those guilty memes that people, you know, well, you're eating your hot dog or your hamburger. Remember the troops. It's not that that I'm talking about. It's the fact that Memorial Day isn't really Memorial Day in the way many of us observe it any longer. It's kind of like Memorial Day plus Armistice Day plus Veterans Day. Thank you for your service. We say on Memorial Day, but that's not what Memorial Day is about. Memorial Day is about one thing. Death. Those people who have died in military service to this country. 
think this evasion or avoidance maybe of what Memorial Day is about for many people points at something that a lot of Americans aren't easy about, which is death itself. We've often been called kind of a death-denying country. (laughs) If you want to bring a dinner party to a screeching halt... Politics? Yeah, people talk about politics all the time. Sex? People talk about sex all the time. Death. (laughs) Now, for me, someone who actually likes to talk about death, I've brought quite a number of dinner parties and conversations to a screeching halt. (laughs) And sometimes that's intentional, because I'm also an introvert. (laughs) I remember early on in my ministry... Nothing to do with Memorial Day, but one of the first memorial services that I was ever invited to be a part of, the, the family had, had one rule. It's, it's really important to learn a family's rules and norms as you go into such a vulnerable time in people's lives, marking the end of a loved one's life. One of their norms was, at this memorial service, we cannot mention death. <laughs> you cannot use the word death. Passed on, passed away. By the fourth time, either my words or the other minister I was working with had used the word expired. I felt like we were talking about a carton of milk and not a person. And and that's the cost, I think, by the way, when we can't accept this basic mortality of who we all are. That all things end. Our own lives, lives of everyone we love, that's what today's song is about. It reminds me of one of my favorite teachings. Junior year in college, many years ago. John Updike's Too Far to Go. If you know this collection of short stories, they're short stories that were written over decades and collected into this particular book. The author wrote an introduction because this series of stories is about the Maples, a couple that marries, has children, grows a family, and then divorces. Updike says that a marriage ends is less than ideal, but all things end under heaven. And if time is held to be invalidating, nothing real succeeds. I read those words when I was 21, and they still are right here, and even more, they are right here. That a marriage ends is less than ideal, but all things end under heaven. And if time is held to be invalidating, then nothing real succeeds. Wow, that just kind of lays it right out, doesn't it? That's what today's song, final one in the Songs of the Series, is about. Written by Jason Isbell, sung with his band, The 400 Unit. And The 400 Unit includes the person he's married to, wonderful artist in her own right, Amanda Shires. And Jason Isbell sang, said, the first time I sang this song, tried to record it in the studio, He got so choked up over and over again, especially because this song is done like a duet between the two of them, he had to leave the room because he couldn't get the words out. He couldn't sing the words. It's knowing that this can't go on forever. 
Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get 40 years together. One day I'll be gone, or one day you'll be gone. I love the fact in this song, what happens when the realization of our love meets the realization of time itself. He never names what the it is. He says it's not sexual intimacy. He says it's not his beloved's beauty. He says it's not her wisdom or her kindness or her mercy. It's this realization that this can't go on forever. There's something about that it. It's that pivot point, that moment where he recognizes something has changed. I might ask you, when, when did you realize, like really realize, that you would die? That other people you love would die too? Maybe we're still wrestling with that. We haven't fully realized that. I know I haven't. (laughs) It's the one great thing about our lives to be able to metabolize. It can take a lifetime or even perhaps lifetimes to digest. Do we shrink from it, fear it, sorrow over it, rage over it, or perhaps even, even alongside those other things, embrace it? The moments when the limits of time collide And as Isabel and Shires asked us to focus the energies of our love. Reminds me of one of my other favorite books. This one that didn't quite light the spark of my imagination the same way Updike's work did. This one did something different for me. This is A Path with Heart by Jack Kornfield, one of the great Western teachers of the Buddhist tradition. A Path with Heart, a guide through the perils and the promises of the spiritual life. This one didn't kind of wake me up in the same way. What it did is it gave me a path over 20 years ago. It focused my energies. Cornfield says the key question is this. It's not did we love. (laughs) For many of us, that just happens on its own. (laughs) It's this question. Did we love well? (laughs) That final word is so key. Did we love well? He writes from the perspective of someone who comes from a tradition that stresses that everything and everyone and this life itself is impermanent. I think this connection between loving well and recognizing everything and everyone changes, not just in death, but all throughout life. This is what loving well is all about. To borrow from another part of the tradition from which Jack Kornfield comes, and as someone who very imperfectly That sounds very haphazardly, to be honest, but walks a path inspired by the Buddha. This is a key question. Zen tradition says the problem is you think you have time. (laughs) That's what I love about the Zen tradition. It's an astringent like vinegar. It clarifies. (laughs) The problem is you think you have time. The problem is I think I have time. Let's personalize this one, right? We got plans. Got the ways our life wants to go or we think life wants to go. But here's the thing, impermanence, right, is not a Buddhist concept. It's not true because it's Buddhist. I'd like to say it's Buddhist because it's true. Part of every tradition belonging to everyone. Some teachers call us to wake up to this fact. Some of you know who Rachel Held Evans is. 
or was. Rachel Held Evans, who helped to create a place emerging from evangelical Christianity, fundamentalist forms of religion, in which she grew up, in which she felt ultimately she had to leave. And so she, with her wit, with her wisdom, with her humor, I mean, her perhaps greatest book is known, uh, it's known as the, the Year of Biblical Womanhood, in which she lives as a quote-unquote biblical woman according to all the dictates, especially in the Hebrew Scriptures. It is fascinating and funny and challenging and absurd. <laughs> That's the level of commitment she showed to working out what faith meant to her, and she helped to create a space for millions who, because of their refusal to say, I would give myself over to orthodoxy in an unthinking way, or because of gender or gender expression or gender identity or human sexuality could say, I have to walk away from something that is no longer liberating. They found in Rachel Held Evans a voice and a friend. Rachel Held Evans, who only reached the age of 37, as many of you know. She had the flu. And then apparently an allergic reaction to the flu, to an antibiotic. And then she was in the hospital and then her brain started to swell. And the most recent explanation I've heard for why she might have died was encephalitis. But no one absolutely knows yet, at least no one in the public realm, I think, knows yet. Her last blog post ever happened to be, she didn't plan it this way, happened to be on the first day of the Christian tradition and season of Lent, Ash Wednesday. And she wrote words that were too perfect. She wrote, it strikes me today that the liturgy of Ash Wednesday teaches something that nearly everyone can agree on, whether you are part of a church or not, whether you believe today or you doubt, whether you are a Christian or an atheist or an agnostic or a so-called nun whose faith experiences far transcend the limits of that label, you know this truth deep in your bones. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Death is a part of life. And she continues, my prayer for you this season is that you make some time to celebrate this reality and to grieve that reality, and that you will know that you are not alone. And the final word she wrote, ever wrote, at least for public consumption, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Isabel and Shires say maybe time running out is a gift. But, you know, they're envisioning maybe they'll get 40 years together. Time running out is a gift to a 37-year-old, to someone whose presence made the world a better place, someone who leaves behind millions of people who loved her and learned from her, who left behind a husband who loved her, who left behind two children, ages three and one. Sometimes time running out is not a gift. And also, I think her words for how her children will be okay someday guide us. 
if they are loved with that love that reminds them, even in the midst of their heartbreak that will shadow their entire lives, not condemn their entire lives, but shadow their entire lives, if they are loved with the kind of love that reminds them they are not alone, then that love will seep into all the places, the broken crevices in their hearts, and they will know that their mom still loves them. Sometimes life, like in this past week, is like this for me and maybe for you. A friend of mine who I hadn't talked to in quite a while, a faraway friend, out of the blue called me. See, in their circle in which they travel, they heard a story about someone who, like Rachel, held Evans, but even more suddenly than Rachel held Evans, just dropped dead. The problem is we think we have time, right? Until we don't. And the person, my friend who called me, told me this story. And they said, not a terribly sentimental way, but just a very real and direct from the heart way. I heard this story and I thought of you. And I want you to know how much you mean to me. I, I, I didn't know how to respond. <laughs> I use a lot of words, people. <laughs> Thank you. That's the best I could offer. Thank you. That means so much that you would take that, that time, this time. You mean so much to me too. And that was it. That was the phone call. It was after it that for me, the tears came. The focusing words the ways that when we remember we are mortal, we will learn to speak the truth of this life for each of us. You hurt me. I'm sorry I hurt you. Can you forgive me? That thing you did for me has been the most important thing anyone has ever done for me. I love you. And I didn't want that to be assumed. A number of years ago here at Wellsprings, we did a, a series called Unscrooge at Christmas time. And you know, that Christmas carol story is about what happens when we recognize the limitations of our own heart and we wake up to the fact that our time here on earth is limited itself and that can change us. We base it on this little book and also a blog post going on around the town. It's very popular, The Top Five Regret Regrets of the Dying. It has all to do within the midst of life, not waiting till its end, to let the life that wants to live in us to be fully alive in us and to be expressed to each other. Top five regrets of all the dying are about, my God, why did I work so hard to the detriment of the relationships in my life? Why did I take this thing for granted? Why didn't I take risks? Why didn't I open up? Why didn't I tell the people that I loved that I love them more often. When we wake up to these truths, it changes us. There's these moments that we can say, perhaps, maybe time running out is a gift. I'll work hard to the end of my shift. Instead of just assuming we have time, that the time we have is now. 
this final semester in school, I took an end of life and social work class. It was a good way to end a degree. Even more, it was an even better way to live a life. <laughs> Some of you might know this website. It's called Five Wishes. If you go to Five Wishes, you will see forms that are about planning or helping to prepare for your end of life. Advanced directives, limitations on care, medical procedures you want and those you don't want. And even more than that, it is about your hopes for yourself and your loved ones at the end of your life. Emotional, spiritual, relational, psychological. It doesn't take that long to fill out. And it was one of the assignments that we had to. And in the state of Pennsylvania, if you fill it out and get it notarized, it is a legally binding document. I mentioned vinegar before that kind of acts like an astringent, clarifies, but it also was like honey that tastes sweet. That made me recognize what I wanted, and I shared it with my wife. To be able to be mindful, which is just another word for being aware, as aware as we can be, as we sink in, in whatever pace, in whatever way we can, to this reality that we are mortal, and don't forget it. I think it was the Dalai Lama who years ago said, how are you celebrating your 81st birthday? I think it was. He said, preparing for death. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing morbid in that. Just true. I know for me personally, and maybe it's not true for you, but I know for me personally, there is no other greater way for me to appreciate my life than to recognize on a daily basis that it will end. This is what I would wish for so many of us in our culture at large, to have more groups like this. And it's so interesting in this time in which so many of our traditional structures and ways of relating to each other are kind of going by the wayside, that there are new forms of relationship popping up. One of them is called the dinner party. It's a collection of 20-somethings and 30-somethings, right? Not the time in life that we associate with people who like to talk about death, but as someone who was in their early 20s and suffered a grievous loss, my God, I wish this would have been around for me. It is a focusing conversation of people over the table opening up to each other about their losses and their griefs, about their parents and their spouses or their children or their friends or those beloved to them that they have lost. And one of the things I love, if you go to the dinner party website, you will see it is not just about the relationships formed over the table that they want to help cement and bond. The dinner party has wider aspirations to help move us beyond a death-denying culture in which you say... Out of our listening, they say, out of our listening to each other about death, about loss, about the universality of that experiences and the differences we have in the experiences of how we move through times of seasons and death of loss. Out of that listening, we will become leaders, the dinner party says. And those are the kinds of people who might help all of us become people who having accepted and experienced our limits, love fully, more presently, more ably. Maybe if we're a society that took death more seriously, we would treat life more sacredly. Learn to fully be alive in our lives as it's happening. Frank Turner is one of my favorite 
artists. He's got this song called uh, Polaroid Picture. And it's about a friendship of his. You know, the kinds of friendships that many of us might have had in our childhood where we just spend hours together, where the sole aim of the friendship is to be friends. It opens with the words, man, we used to be brothers, superheroes and warriors. <laughs> then they grew up. And the only number that Frank Turner has for his friend anymore is the place he used to live with his parents and the place where they used to go to shows and music together closed down. And now there's other parts of the city where other bands are playing. He doesn't know them anymore and life changes. And he wants to get back in touch with his friend who we love so much. And then Frank says these words almost like a prayer. And Frank's really open about his being a total non-believer, but he says this kind of like a prayer. He says, let go of little distractions, hold close to the ones that you love, for we won't all be here this time next year. So while you can, take a picture of us. Let go of the little distractions, hold close to the ones that you love, for we won't all be here this time next year. So while you can, take a picture of us. I wish I had turned my phone on because I take a picture of all you right now, but I don't want to, you'd have to wait for my phone to boot up. So I'll take a picture of you later. Let go of the little distractions. Hold close to the ones that you love. For we won't all be here this time next year. While you can take a picture of us. In full circle, I conclude back to us this community of Wellsprings. This is a picture from a number of years ago from our Day of the Dead, All Souls Day, memorial altar that we construct together. Now I think probably nine of the 12 years we've been alive as a congregation. And we've done it like six years in a row at least. I have to tell you this is my favorite moment of our lives together. So while you can take a picture of us and people bring all their pictures forward and we construct an um, altar of memory and connection and hope and love and heartbreak and sadness and we see before us all the people, all the experiences that we hold in our hearts and this is one of the things about why it's so powerful to grow together over time in spiritual community, so powerful and so heartbreaking too, is that as we continue to age as a community, you know, you saw this last year, a number of you remarked on it to me. We see more and more of these faces that we're not just importing into this community and sharing with each other. This was my mother. This was my father. This was my first spouse. This was my child. We start to see faces up here of people who were once here. While you can take a picture of us, we may not all be here next time, next, this time, next year. This is my favorite moment as we walk our way through of the entire year here at Wellsprings. When I see us comforting each other, when I see us reminding each other, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, take a picture while you can. You are not alone. We are not alone. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me?
Spirit, God, do the names even matter when we open our hearts in this way? When we open our hearts in this way to recognize that mysteriously somehow we are here and alive. How precious. How challenging. So much joy, so much heartbreak when we open the heart to this truth that nothing goes on forever. Maybe we can be even grateful that whatever may or may not come after this life, that in this tradition at least we're not trying to colonize the afterlife. (laughs) That instead we are invited to return and return and return again to here and to now, to the time we have, to the time with each other. May we allow this truth of death and of life and of love to reconcile us to life itself, to each other, and to ourselves. Amen.